Well, good morning, church. How are you feeling today? <laughs> you excited to be here? I hope you are. Hey, if you are a first-time guest with us here today, we want to say welcome to you. Thank you for accepting an invitation uh, from a friend, a family member, a co-worker. They have invited you here uh, because they love you and they would love for you to be part of what they are experiencing. And so we welcome you. And if you're joining us online for the first time, we want to say welcome. We welcome our online guests right now. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks for joining us. We have people literally all across the United States and even all across the world watching and tuning in. I even have a friend right now watching from the beach in Florida. And uh, I'm not jealous at all. I'm hoping that he has a really great time. But no, it's exciting that even, even in the beach in Florida, you can watch and tune in. And so it's exciting. Thanks for joining us with us today. And so we're wrapping up a series today called Be Generous. And if you were here the last couple of weeks, you know we've been talking about this idea that Christians, people of faith, ought to be the most generous people alive because we say or we claim that we have faith in the most generous being alive, right? You've heard me say that if you've been here the last couple of weeks. And then we're, the Bible even says, it takes it a step further and says that we're to imitate this God in his generosity. And the problem in this series or the tension that we've been trying to solve is that there really is no epidemic of generosity among Christ followers. The average Christ follower gives 3% of their income to their local church. And the numbers here at Emmanuel reflect those same averages across the country. And only about 12% of people that regularly attend Emmanuel jump in and volunteer some of their time through the week. And so really I've been trying to coach us as a team, as a, as a church, to kind of do better in this area of generosity. And we said the reason that, that, that we struggle with generosity, with, our t with the resources that God has given us or the time that we have, is because we really have no clear vision of what it looks like to live a generous life. And so that's really what this series has been all, all about. Week one we talked about how a generous person experiences increased levels of what? happiness, right? Okay, so some of you missed that talk. You got to go back and watch that. And then last week, we talked about how a, a generous person experiences real what? Hope. See, some of you here, that's good. You heard what I said. Real hope. And that was really the hope of eternal life and, and the next life and all that stuff. It was hopefully that, that landed with you last week. And so today, all I want to do is continue to cast that vision of what a generous life looks like so that you can have motivation to move towards generosity. Because when there is no vision, there is no motivation. Do you agree with this? Right? So let's look at this real quick if you're a note taker. A generous person experiences a great harvest in this life. Last week we talked about a real hope for the next life. Laying up treasures for yourself in heaven, right? With, with acts of generosity. Today we're going to talk about this life. A generous person experiences a great harvest right now. I want to look at the words of Jesus because he made it very clear in Luke chapter 6, verse 38. He says, give and it will be, say it with me, given to you. He didn't mince words here. Here's the deal. If you give, it's going to come back to you, not just financially, okay? It does, does it include finances? Absolutely. But I'm talking about, Jesus is talking about encouragement. He's talking about love. He's talking about service. You give it out and it will come back to you. How will it come back to you? A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. Now, if you've ever read those words of Jesus and you're like, what the heck does that mean? <laughs> Here's what it means. Years ago, back in the Mosaic Law, the, the, there was a rule that said that the, the farmers were not allowed to harvest their entire field. They had to leave the corners unharvested. 
so that the poor people in the community would, could come literally miles and miles away with their baskets and they were allowed to harvest the corners of the field because they were poor and they didn't have land. And so these people would travel with empty baskets and they would get down and they would harvest the, the corners of the fields and they would fill them up with corn or grain, whatever the crop was, and they would put some in. Then that what they would do is they would press it down then they would shake it together like you do at the movie theater with your popcorn so you can get more in there. No? No one does that? <laughs> How about on Halloween with the candy mat? You shake it, push. Okay, so they would put it in, press it down, they'd shake it together, and then they would put more in and press it down, shake it together, and then they would put more in so that at the end, the thing was literally overflowing as they put it on their heads or their shoulders to walk back literally miles back to their village. Now, why would they do that? Because they weren't coming back. It was one trip. Jesus says, if you give, it'll be given back to you. A full measure, running over. I love what Psalm 112 verse 9 says. Talking about the godly. They share freely and they give, say it with me, generously to those in need. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. They will have influence and honor. They'll have a basket full of influence and honor. What does Jesus mean when he talks about good measure, running over, pressed down, shaken together, overflowing into your lap? What does that look like? Well, a lot of preachers, especially some years ago, would say, if you give the church $50, somehow you're going to get $150 back. <laughs> and then, you know, that went on for a while, and that's why most people don't come back to church anymore. Because <laughs> that's just not true, Okay. They were using Jesus' words to try to raise some funds for their church. That's not what it means. It could include finances, but how about this? How about a basket full of love? How about a basket full of great relationships where people love you and care about you, where you, where you, where you really have a good marriage? Over, how about your marriage overflowing with blessing? How about where your, your kids actually like you? <laughs> you know, you have great relationships with your children, and even as they become adults, you have great relationship with your children. And then you have great relationships with your grandchildren. You, that, you think that would be an awesome life? You think that would be a life full of blessing? How about physical health? You know, physical health is hard to come by sometimes. Right, it, would that be something? You'd like to have a basket full of physical health where you don't have aches and pains and sicknesses and disease, right? I think Jesus is talking about all realms of life, physical health, emotional health. How about a basket full of joy? Would you like to have a basket full of joy? How about a basket full of peace where peace is just overflowing, not because your circumstances are going that well, but because of a relationship, a rich relationship with God. Would anybody like to have a basket full of peace and joy? See, that's what Jesus is talking about here. He's saying, give and it'll be given to you, not financially, perhaps financially, but a life filled with blessings. Now, some of you are realizing for the first time, that's why my basket's empty. Gosh, that's why I have a, I'm in friction with everybody at work and I'm in friction with my spouse and I'm in, I have problems with my kids. <laughs> that's why I don't have a lot of peace and I have no joy because I haven't been giving. You've been waiting for somebody to fill your basket up instead of first saying, how can I fill up your basket? Jesus says, when you give, it'll be given back to you. I want to talk to you today about how do you create a great harvest, four ideas from the book of 2 Corinthians. I think Paul captures this idea very well because he's speaking to a group of Christians who had made a promise to give an offering to a church in Jerusalem. They said, we'll do it. 
But then a year went by and they didn't fulfill their promise. So Paul is coming back to them and say, hey guys, remember what you said you were going to do? We all have good intentions a lot of times. Do you agree with that? Oh, I'm going to exercise one day or I'll give to the church or I'll do this or I'll do that or I'm going to get on that diet. We all have good intentions. A lot of times we struggle to follow through. Paul is writing this letter in part to help them follow through on the gift they said they were going to give to the Jerusalem church. And I think we can draw some coaching from it. Uh, for us today as well. And so four ideas, how do you build a great harvest? Listen to what Paul says here. A great harvest, first of all, depends on how you sow. It depends on how you sow. Paul gives them a very simple word picture. I'm going to start in verse 6. We'll go to verse 7, verse 8, verse 9, 10, and 11. Watch this. He says, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get what kind of crop? Yeah. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. Simple idea. If you have a field and you want a, you want a lot of corn, you want a lot of beans, you got to get that seed and you really got to throw it out there. <laughs> okay, you can't just kind of seed over here. Small sowing, small harvest. Generous sowing, generous harvest. A great harvest depends on how you sow. I, I don't know about you, but I want a life filled with a lot of love. I really do. I love to be loved. I love when my kids love on me. Love, especially love it when my wife loves on me. <laughs> and so if that's what I want, if I want a basket full of love, which I do, I really, really do. I love that. What that means is what? I have to do what with love? I have to give a lot of love out. This morning, I, I, I walked up to my daughter and I, I squeezed her and I said, you're going to get 10 kisses this morning. And I kissed her 10 times on her head. And, you know, she just looked at me like, Dad, you know, she's getting a little older now, so it's a little. So I said, well, you're going to get 10 more, 20 total. And I gave her 10 more kisses on her head. Just a lot of love, a lot of love, a lot of love, a lot of kisses. And I said, how many other little girls got 20 kisses from their dad this morning? You know, like, that's a lot of seed. You know what I'm saying? And I guarantee later on today, it's just, it's just later on today, you know what I'm going to get? I'm going to get some kisses back. That's how this deal works. Like, if I want some kisses, I have to throw them out there, lots and lots of them. Just everywhere, you know. My boys love it when I kiss on them, you know, because they're 14 and 16. That goes well, <laughs> you know. I tell them when you're 21 and 22, I'm going to kiss your face. <laughs> and there's nothing you can do about it, you know what I'm saying? So, so I want a basket full of love. And so that's what I, I got I to give that out. How about, you understand what I'm saying? Depends on how you sow. Great generosity in sowing, you're going to get a really big crop, a really big harvest. Make sense? Let's look at this second idea. Paul says, secondly, you're going to get a great harvest, or a great harvest depends on your heart, like your motivation. When I say heart, I mean the inner person you are. Like, what's the condition of it? Like, what's the, what's the reason you're giving? God is looking at the heart. He's looking at the motivation behind the gift. That makes sense? You can give for the wrong reasons. Listen to what Paul says in verse 7. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. This is a decision that you make. And don't, don't give reluctantly. Oh, man, I'm going to do this. I don't want to, but I guess you're, as a good Christian, you're supposed to. You know, I don't want to look like, like I'm a bad Christian, so I'm going to give or my time or my money or whatever. I'm going to start serving, right? They said there's only 12% serving. I guess I'll sign up. Gosh, you know, 
don't do that. <laughs> Look, don't serve if that's your heart, okay? Because that's not where a harvest comes from, right? Don't do it reluctantly or, or, or as a response to pressure. You know, pressure meaning like, come on, guys, we can do, let's go. Okay, gosh. <laughs> don't do it that way. Watch this. Instead, God is looking at the heart and he loves what kind of giver? A giver who gives cheerfully. This word cheerfully, we get our, we get our English word hilarious from this Greek word hilarion. It, it means to give with, with, with joy and excitement, with a smile on your face. The answer is yes, no hesitation. It's just this exciting opportunity. It reminds me of the Macedonians in 2 Corinthians 8, if you're here for week one of the series. They're like, Paul, don't leave us out of this opportunity to give. They, they begged and they pleaded to be able to give, even though they were poor and under extremely difficult circumstances, they wanted to participate in giving the gift to the Jerusalem church. God loves a cheerful giver. Last week after the 1115 service, I was walking out to my car and most everybody had left and these two guys approached me and I'm looking down in their hands and I saw that they had guns in their hands. Some of you just perked up. They didn't have guns. <laughs> that would have been scary. Guns, what were you? Know. So they didn't have guns. They actually had something much more powerful in their hands. And I was looking at these two guys. They were walking right towards me. And I thought, this is awesome. So I took a picture of these guys. This guy's Darren. This guy's Jonathan. Never met them before. This is last week. And look what they got in their hands there. See that? Something much more powerful than a gun. It's the word of God. It's living and active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And it's powerful enough to pierce the, the thoughts and the mind of man. And I said, guys, you got you know, what are you doing here? You know, I don't know who you are. It's, this is our first time. Darren says to me, I haven't been to church since I was nine years old. You'll hear his story, I think, here shortly. Amazing story. I'm just talking to them before I get in my car. And I was so excited about these guys that I decided to take a selfie. I don't take selfies because I don't really know how to do it. This one didn't come out that good, but watch this. There we go. <laughs> I think we're supposed to be up here, but you know, who knows how to take these things? I'm 40, you know what I mean? Is there a selfie class you can take? You know, I don't know. Some, oh, okay, so I was so excited about these guys and I'm, I'm looking at them, They're, they start to walk away and I'm like, and I hear Jesus just say, bless them. I'm like, well, bless them, okay, what's it? And I realized I had my blow money in my pocket. Anybody know what blow money is? Anybody take the Dave Ramsey class? That's the money that you have in your pocket that after all your bills are paid and you make your investments and you pay off your debts, you get this little bit of extra that you can blow and usually I blow it on Starbucks. Come on, where are you guys? Are you, are you with me today? And, and God says to me, God says to me, bless them. So I reach in my pocket, I grab my blow money. I say, hey guys, I just want you to go to lunch today and talk about the service some more. And they were like, wow, you know, that's so cool. You know, I just, and I gave without hesitation just joyfully, just like, man, I get a chance to bless these guys. Now, when I got in my car and I drove home, how do you think I felt? You think I'm like, oh man, I'm out that, you know, that, that was my blow money. What am I gonna do about coffee this week? Darn it. Do <laughs> You think I felt that way? No, I was like, oh God, thank you for the chance to bless these guys. Then go have a nice meal or whatever. God loves, he's looking at the heart. See, a great harvest depends on your heart. Depends how you sow. It depends on where your heart is, where your motivation is. Let's look at this third idea. A great harvest depends on contentment. A great harvest depends on contentment. We don't like that word in America <laughs> as Americans, but it's true. A lot of people think, well, I would be generous if I had more. You there? And I would say, really? 
And in fact, I would say, you're kidding yourself. Now, I know there are extreme cases, and that's a very, very small percentage in our communities. I think most of us are kidding ourselves. Here, let me give you an example. Maybe, maybe this happens in your home. Your kids come to you and say, Dad, there's nothing to eat. I'm hungry, there's nothing to eat. You walk over to the cupboard, you open up the cupboard, there's food literally from the top to the bottom. Nothing to eat, are you sick? Are you, do you have eyeballs? There's like marshmallows and graham crackers and there's all sorts of stuff to eat in here. What are you talking, can we go to Fazoli's? <laughs> can we go to Chick-fil-A, you know? It's all kinds of stuff to eat. Like we don't really know, here's what we've done. We've, got, we, we've gotten our, our needs and our wants confused. It's not that there's nothing to eat. It's that they don't want to eat what's in there. Are you with me? It's like the, the people to go to, the, to their closet. I don't have anything to wear. Are you sick? You got a whole closet full of clothes. You don't want to wear any of them, right? And now, now, I know there's extreme cases where there's some people who literally don't have food or clothing, and that's extreme. I'm not talking about everybody, but most of us are delusional. Yes, you heard me say it. You are delusional. Here's how I can prove it, ready? If, if the food and the clothing thing didn't, didn't uh, and I'm going somewhere with this, I promise. In our country today, there are 48,500 storage facilities. We pay people to house our junk. We bought so much stuff and accumulated so much stuff. Well, if I had more, I'd give more. Are you sick? 48,500 storage units. 65% of Americans who have a storage unit and pay people to store their junk have a garage. Their garage got full and like, oh shoot, what do we do with all our junk? Let's pay someone. Oh, if I had more, I'd give more. You know, and the church is asking for money and they're asking for money. I don't have, are you sick, right? We're delusional about this thing. There are, oh, are 48,500 storage units. There's only 14,000 McDonald's. <laughs> Think about that. There's only 11,000 Starbucks. 48,500 storage units. Did you know that, that Americans throw away 40% of our food? We just do 40%. 40% of our food out the door. Just throw it away. Now, that includes you know, restaurants that throw away their food. That also includes supermarkets that throw away their extra food. But it, a big portion of that number is the food you and I throw out in our homes. That's about $2,200 per family. That's about $165 billion of waste. Man, if I had more, I would give more. Really? We are delusional. We've gotten confused about what is a need and what is a want. Let me, sh let me show you what Paul says in verse 8. God will generously provide all that you want. Does it say that? I know I'm being sarcastic today, but does it say that? No, it doesn't say that. We want God to provide all of our wants. God says, no, no, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you everything you need. Then you'll always have everything that you, say with me, come on, need. And, and then when you get everything that you need, something magical is going to happen. You're going to have something called, say it with me, plenty left over to do what with? To store in a storage unit. I mean, we are delusional, folks. This is psychotic, right? With the, 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 extra, the extra is supposed to go to other people. And we say, oh, it's mine. I got to hold on to it. You know, it's, you know, there's people that need it. You know, all across the country, people have needs. This is where contentment comes in. See, contentment allows me 
and allows you to have extra so that we can give it away. I love what Randy Alcorn said in his little book called The Treasure Principle. Fantastic. You can read it in about an hour. He said this, one of our central spiritual decisions is determining what a reasonable amount to live on. What is it a reasonable amount to live on? Americans think, well, if if this much came in, then I must be able to spend all of it. That's the wrong mentality. It's God, this much came in. What percentage do you want my wife and I, my family and I to live on so that we can have extra, we can have our needs met and then have, and then the extra we can bless somebody else with. Does that make sense? The less you need, the more you have to give. You follow me? Yes or no? If you're not content, you'll spend it all and, no, and you won't have any, anything left over to bless other people in need. A great harvest depends on your ability to be content with less. Yes or no? I know this ain't fun to preach, but this is the truth from, from God's word, okay? Let me show you this last one. A great harvest depends on God. A great harvest depends on God. God makes it clear that he is the source of the seed. He is the source of the ingredients. Let me show you what I mean in verse 10. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. Now, we get confused about this. The farmer thinks sometimes that, well, the crop, the big harvest came from me. I'm the one that got out there, plowed the ground, planted the seed, made sure the chemicals and the water got on. And so the, look at this, look at me, I'm an awesome farmer. But, but we forget that God is the source of the seed. God sends the rain. God's the one that makes it all grow. Like the baker who makes the bread can say, well, look at this loaf of bread that I made. It's, isn't, it, you know, isn't it awesome? Ain't I a great you know, baker or something? And it's like, wait a second. Okay, yes, you were involved in the process, but where did the, the yeast come from? Where did the ingredients come from and the flour and the sugar and all the stuff that goes into making the bread? God says, yeah, you guys are involved. You go to work and you make a, a salary, but I gave you the energy and the mind and the brain and the skills to do your job. Don't forget Don't forget where the seed comes from, is what Paul is saying. God is the supplier. He resources your ability to be generous, is what Paul is saying. Watch what he says here. In the same way, in what way? That God provides the seed for the farmer and the ingredients for the baker. He will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of, say with me, generosity in you. Verse 11, he reiterates the same idea. Watch this. Yes, you'll be enriched in every way so that you can always, and here's the name of our series, be generous. In other words, you cannot say to yourself, well, you know, I just, I just don't have, you know, I don't have, I don't have anything to be generous with. God says, no, 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 here's the deal. If you are desiring to move towards generosity, I will put the seeds in your hands. You will be resourced so that you can help other people. I promise you, it, when this whole deal, when it comes to generosity in this whole deal, where there is a will, there is a way. God has promised it. He said, if you want to move towards generosity, I will put seed in your hands so that you can bless other people. But if you don't, if in your, and this is where the heart, and the heart comes in. If, if in your heart you want to hold on to everything yourself, and live a self-absorbed life, God will not provide opportunities for you to be generous. I remember what Rick Warren said many, many years ago. They were in a building campaign. He's the pastor of Saddleback Church out in California. He wrote the book, Purpose Driven Life. He said during their building campaign, he himself, his family committed to give $100,000 to the building campaign, which is an enormous amount of money for a pastor. And it's an enormous amount of money for anybody. And he didn't have it. He said, guys, I don't have it, but I'm committing by faith. I'm committing to give $100,000 to this building program. Then you know what he did after that? He started writing this little book called Purpose Driven Life. 
Anybody ever read it? Raise your hand if you've ever read it. Just look around, look around, look around. Number one best-selling book in the world besides the Bible and over the last 20 years or so. He decided to be generous, and then he wrote the book. Now, did he have any idea that the book would explode the way it did? The way it did? Absolutely not. He'd never written a book before. First book he ever wrote. Actually, he wrote a book called The Purpose Driven Church. That was for pastors, but anyway. In fact, I'm not quite sure about that, so I may have gotten that backwards. The book explodes. It goes literally, you know, global. And now he has paid back his salary of 25 years. Every penny he's paid the church back. Every penny he's ever earned, paid the entire thing back. And now he he has become what's called a reverse tither. He gives 90% of his income away and lives off of 10. Some of us, many of us don't even do the 10, 90. (laughs) You know, we, we, we try to live off of 100. He's a reverse tither. Amazing. Now that 10% is pretty big. I'm sure he has a nice living, but how many of us would do that? If we had all kinds of money coming in, become a reverse tither. See, here's what God found in Rick Warren. He found a guy that was headed towards generosity. He found a guy that was willing to, not to sprinkle, but to throw seed everywhere. And he began to resource Rick Warren. What's the result of this? Watch this in your notes. What will the result be? Paul tells us very simple. Two things will happen. Number one, people will be blessed and God will be praised. People will be blessed and God will be praised. In other words, needs will be met, and those people who have their needs met will will give praise back to God. Watch this in in the next couple of verses. Two things are going to happen as a result of this ministry of giving. The first one is this. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met, and secondly, they will joyfully express their thanks to God. Wow. I'd like to live that way. I'd like to be the type of person who meets needs And because I met the need that somebody had, their attention and their focus goes upward. Jesus said something about that, right? He said, let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in where? Heaven. I want you to hear a story right now of a girl named Caitlin. Very, very practical story of how our family, your family, the Church of Emmanuel was able to meet some needs and draw a person's faith and attention to God. Listen to Caitlin's story. My name is Caitlin Fields. Last winter, I was going through a separation with my husband and the only vehicle I had for me and my four kids had no heat. There's a member here at Emanuel who worked with Caitlin. He found out that she had a van, she had no heat, it was February. Seeing the need, he actually reached out to the church and asked how we could solve that problem for Caitlin and her family. So I actually contacted my mechanic and he said he would be willing to check it out. And we found out it was gonna take about $400 to repair the heat in the van. Greg had reached out to me to ask if I would be willing to meet up with him and Carrie at the church to discuss my current situation with the van and anything that they could possibly help with. So as I got to know Caitlin and we were meeting with her, she was real open about it. She wasn't even asking for help. She was just sharing what was going on and the circumstance that she was in. And we just identified there was a big need. There was a need there. I contacted several of the Financial Peace University graduates from church to see if any of those guys would be willing to donate some money. And um, they responded. They responded really well. So we raised $400 pretty quickly to pay for the repair but there was also some bad news. 
There were lots of problems separate from the heat, and the cost of the repair would actually exceed the value of the van. I called Greg to check up on the donations, and I heard the news about the condition of the van. You feel like you're gonna do something good and feel a need and to know like it was just throwing good money at junk for the most part. It's disappointing. Hearing that news was really hard because I knew that Kirk and the other FPU grads really wanted to be a blessing to Caitlin and her family. So the craziest part was right before we kind of knew this need was there, Eric and I had just traded in what we felt was a pretty nice van. And I was just talking to Greg like, man, we could have given that van to Caitlin and her family. So I thought, heck, let's call the dealership and see if we can negotiate to buy it back from him. Our mechanic went ahead and fixed the heat issue with Caitlin's van, and we took her to pick it up. On the way to pick up my van, I remember thinking that this is just weird, it's crazy, like what kind of people would help me and would pay for my van to get fixed. But at the same time, I was sincerely grateful that it was happening. So I ended up contacting the dealership, and they ended up getting us the van for $3,500, which was pretty sweet because the money that Greg had kind of tallied, not everybody had given yet, but it was kind of right at that price. And that's how we knew it was a God thing because the money that was there was the money to cover the cost of the van. When Kirk told me the news about the van, I really couldn't have been more excited. We continued to receive donations and ended up actually reaching a total of $4,300. This not only allowed us to pay for the van, but also to pay her car insurance for several months. She didn't know any of this was going on. I just made contact with her and said, hey, I got a vehicle I want you to go with me to look at, but it's in Shelbyville, so let's meet and I'll drive you down there and we can take a look at it and see what you think. I see the van and it's not rusted. It's all shiny and all clean. It's been detailed. It's she asked very innocently, like, well, how much is this going to cost? And I said, Caitlin, there's no cost to you. And I was like, no, <laughs> I have to pay something. I don't, you don't just get a free vehicle. She had told me that all these people had come together and wanted to buy me a new van. I just, I couldn't believe it. Like this, this happens on TV. You don't, that doesn't happen to you. Um, it wasn't going to happen to me. That's, it's just crazy. Carrie and Greg had invited me to come to Emmanuel, so I came back the next week. It was a powerful message about relationships, actually, um, which was perfect for what was going on in my life. Went into the back and got a bunch of information about the church and grabbed a Bible and accepted Jesus Christ because he was there for me when I needed him. There was a need, we came together, and then we met that need. If you can give some time and just that little bit and people all chip in to see the transformation that it can cause is incredible. It wasn't about bringing a spotlight to the gift. Uh, it was about meeting a real need. It really is a blessing to be able to do that. It's something that you just can't experience any other way.
when we each step forward and do our part and give generously with what God has given us, um, and we've planned in our own budget and on our own margin to be able to give back, what an impact it can make on one person's life or one family's life for that matter. I want to give a sincere thank you for anybody who helped get me that van. Um, that act of generosity from you guys had given me a sense of security, a single mom, a poor, <laughs> who didn't know which way was up or down and how she was gonna make it. Now I've got my own house and I've got a very well-paying job. And thank you. Are you glad to be part of our church? I'm, as I was watching that video, it, it, it occurred to me that, that Caitlin will spend eternity with Jesus, not because someone preached at her, not because someone told her the message of Jesus. Caitlin will spend eternity with God because someone demonstrated love through an act of generosity. That makes the gospel believable. I don't know about you, but I, I want to have a basket full of Caitlin's when I get to heaven. People that have come to faith in Christ because they saw the generosity of our church. They saw the generosity of my life. And they said, what, what's going Here's my favorite quote from that video. What kind of people would buy me a van people who are infused with the love of God, people who are mimicking their heavenly father. Do you agree, yes or no? Those are the types of people that would buy a perfect stranger who has a need, a van for her four kids. I, I, I don't know about you, but I just have to ask this question. What, what kind of harvest do you want? What do you want your basket full of? You want it full of people who whose needs were met and now they're praising God. You want a life filled with, with love and goodness in your life? Well, then you have to spread a lot of seed. <laughs> you gotta have your heart in the right place. You have to practice some contentment and you have to understand that God, if you take a direction this way, God will be the provider of the seed. You will be enriched in every way so that in every opportunity, you can be generous. The end result will be a great harvest. Now, today we are celebrating communion. In a few moments, we're going to have some buckets pass and you're going to get a little cup. And, and I think it's a great time to celebrate communion because communion is an act of generosity. It, it, I mean, community, it, communion is all about celebrating this moment where we're, say, we're saying, wow, Jesus, you came to this earth to die on a cross for my sins. Like you left heaven. The Bible actually says in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, that though, that, that though he was rich, he became poor, that through his poverty, we might become rich. Incredible verse. Jesus left the right hand of the Father. He left all the glory of heaven to come down to earth to take on the form of a man, to take on the form of a servant, to allow himself to be crucified on a cross so that you and I can be forgiven of our sins, so that you and I could experience eternal life and abundant life. Perhaps today you step into that generosity today. Perhaps today you move towards the grace of God and you receive 
the sacrifice of Christ on the cross for you, for your life. Maybe that's where you're at today. Maybe you've been thinking about it for some time and you've put it off, you put it off, you put it off. But maybe today it's finally making sense that Christ gave his life for you on the cross so that you can have eternal life. If you'd like to step into that generosity today, if you'd like to receive the forgiveness of sins today, I'm gonna lead you in a simple prayer. It's a prayer of faith. You put in your confidence in Christ. Maybe you're watching online right now in the privacy of your own room, wherever you are. Just pray this simple prayer. Put your trust in Christ. Take these words, make them your own. Jesus, today I trust you. Today I receive your generous grace. I'm not deserving. I'm not worthy of it. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. I believe you sacrificed your life so that I could be forgiven, so that I could be cleansed of my sin. I believe you rose again three days later to conquer the penalty of sin that was held against me. And so Jesus, right now I come. I put my trust in you, I put my confidence in you for life, abundant life and eternal life. And help me from this day forward to imitate that generosity to those around me, my family first, my neighbors, my coworkers, my friends, even perfect strangers. Help me to move towards generosity. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen. Church, can we give God glory today for what he's done? Amen. Hey, if you just received the wonderful, generous grace of God, we would like to put a Bible in your hands for absolutely no charge to you, absolutely free. There's tables in the back here. There's teams of people back there, wonderful people that would love to meet you. If you just put your trust and confidence in Christ, uh, they would love to put one of these Bibles in your hands. Now, as we wrap up today, as I mentioned, we're going to be receiving communion. And if you just put your trust in Christ a few moments ago, we welcome you. We invite you to participate with us in communion. Communion is for those who call Jesus their Savior. It's an opportunity for us to remember his death on the cross. The blood, the, the blood, the juice. It's not blood. I promise it's juice. The juice represents the blood of Christ. Okay, it's symbolic of the blood of Christ, the spilled blood of Jesus on the cross. The little piece of bread that is also in here represents the broken body of Christ. You, when you eat it and you drink it, you're declaring that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that you have faith in Him. You're declaring that He's going to return one day. You're declaring that you have faith in Him as your Lord and Savior. And so in a few moments after I pray here, there's going to be some buckets passed. You'll get one of these. Uh, it's a little bit tricky. So what you need to do is take the clear piece first. Okay, there was some confusion about this last night. Take the clear piece first, open that up. That'll get you the bread. And then you open the second one for the juice. Is that good? Little instructions, a little coaching there for you. All right, let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for your spilled blood on the cross. Thank you for your broken body. Thank you for your generous grace. Though you were rich, you became poor, that through your poverty we might become rich. You gave your life for us. Today we refocus, we rededicate, 
we realign ourselves with, with who you are, with the way of life that you came to give us. We declare you to be the Lord of our life. In the next few moments as we receive communion, God, may you work in our hearts, solidify the commitment we have to following you, to, to imitating your generosity in this world so that people like Caitlin can come into a relationship with you and have faith in you. We love you. Thank you for allowing yourself to be crucified and rising again the third day so that we might have life. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.
we have our challenge today. There's a Caitlin in every single one of our lives. Are you ready to go find them? You ready to be some Jesus this week, to show some generosity to the people of this community, the people that you touch at work, the people that you touch at school? People need that love, that generosity. There's, people are craving in this world. And here's what's awesome. Our action steps are simple. We as a church at four o'clock, we're gonna start today. If you've got time, I wanna see you there. If you listen online, you got time to be here at the Greenwood campus at four o'clock. We're gonna pack 750 boxes for families desperate for generosity this holiday season. Now I wanna tell you about something else too. And that's it on Giving Tuesday, the 21st of this month, we're gonna start our year-end giving initiative. And here's what we're gonna do this year. Before the year ends, from uh, Giving Tuesday through the end of the year, we're gonna try to raise $40,000 as a church because we're gonna pack 100,000 meals this coming spring for families. Yes, we're gonna pack those meals for families that we touch all across the world as a church. And so we're gonna challenge you Let's start. Start today. And if you can't make it at four o'clock, let's go find our Caitlin this week. And one more thing. For those of you who have prayed to accept Christ, and today begins a journey that's, that's amazing and, and, and full of ups and downs, here's what I want to challenge you to do. Take that bold step, like Danny had already said. Go see our folks at the starting point tables in the back. And they'll also tell you about an environment that we have. Whether you have accepted Jesus, or you're still wrestling with that decision, they'll tell you about our starting point environment that we can get your journey started on the right foot. Let's pray, church. Lord, we come to you today and we're grateful, grateful for the opportunity that we can be taught and challenged in our hearts. And I thank you for the message that Danny has brought. Lord, I just ask that you pierce our hearts and our minds, build a contentment that builds inside of us that allows us to see the margin you provide in our every single day life. Lord, for every person that is hurting, that needs love, for every person that has a practical need that we can simply meet, and for even those that just need a simple smile this week, use us. Infuse us with the generosity that only comes from you so that we can model the sacrifice and the love that you give for us. We love you, Jesus. Send us into this week bold. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Have a great week. Let's bring some friends next week.